Hello, this is Dharma Mega here with the next podcast episode for Windhorse Publications podcast. And um, today's a bit of a treat. Earlier this year in January, I went to go and visit Vasantara at his home. And we talked about the new edition of his classic book, Meeting the Buddhas. And uh, perhaps we were a little bit too comfortable on a couch and armchair respectively, because the sound quality is not as good as we had hoped. But still, I think you'll find it a really interesting conversation. We spoke about the book, of course, but more importantly, we spoke about what it is to be in relationship with these Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and Tantric deities um, through sadhana and puja and the imagination more broadly. I do hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Vicentra. Hello, Dhammameka. Um, so I am here with Vicentra today, and Vicentra has, well, one wants to say Vicentra has authored a new book, but actually we've uh, re, uh, redone a book that you wrote many, many years ago called Meeting the Buddhas. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, but I, I'm aware that you haven't been very well. Are you feeling any better now? I'm sure that a lot of the people who know you will want to know that you're all right enough. I'm certainly all right enough, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Energy is good. I'm back running a little bit for those who know me. So, yeah. yeah. So the book, um, the book in question is called Meeting the Buddhas. And um, maybe you can say a little bit about the, the birth of that book. Okay, yeah, because actually this month, January 2023, is the 30th anniversary to the month of the book being published. Uh, so it was published in 1993, and it started life really in 1987. I was living in Kukuloka retreat center that we have in uh, southern Spain, and... I was leading a three-month men's ordination course for men who were joining our order. And Sankarakshita Bhante was there. And I'd moved out to Kushiloka to live a little while before. And when I wasn't leading these courses, I had quite a lot of free time. And one day I said to him, you know, I've got all this time. I, th I think I could write a book, but I don't know what. So uh, he'd heard me give a lot of talks about different Buddhas and Bodhisattvas because I'd led quite a lot of previous ordination courses. And at that time, there wasn't that much information available. So on the ordination courses, we had to teach people or tell people about all the main Buddhist figures. Uh, and I'd done a lot of those, and he'd been there. So he said, well, you could write a book on Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and these different figures. So I went back to my room and I planned something out with 24 chapters and I virtually followed it. So I spent the next two years at Grishiloka writing the first draft of what turned into Meeting the Buddhas. And it was honest, it was really one of the best bits of my life. It was fantastic because I had lots of time southern Spain, blue skies a lot of the time, and could meditate and just absorb myself in this extraordinary world of all these figures. And if I got stuck with the writing, 
I'd just go outside and walk up and down and do the mantra of whatever figure it was that I was meditating on. And something would clear and I'd go back and do the next bit. And, uh, yeah, so it was really wonderful. It just felt as if I was absorbed into that world. And it's an extraordinary world to live in for richness and qualities and beauty. Yeah, really quite in the depths of you know, our heart-mind. Uh, and then it took, after that first draft, I came back to the UK because my dad was very ill. And it took a while to go through the processes of checking all my facts because I didn't have many books out there. I was really wrote many out of what I really knew. Uh, yeah, and it's a big, a big beast, this book, Meeting the Buddhists. So it took a lot of tidying up and finishing. And so it finally came out 30 years ago this month. So before we go to the new edition, how did you know so much about all of these figures? It's extraordinary to me that you were doing all of that teaching and then that writing out of what you already knew. Well, that's that's a good question. I suppose I, from when I first learned about these figures, I'd been fascinated with them in a good way in many ways, although I think you can also get fascinated with those figures in a not quite healthy way. Um, so I was learning about them, and then from 1974, when I was ordained by Bunty into the order, I started doing practices of those different figures. And with meeting the Buddhas, I suppose what I wanted to do, I didn't just want to convey information, I actually wanted to convey a feeling of, well, What's it like, you know, to meet these figures? What's it like to meditate on them? What's it like to really feel their qualities? You know, what sort of worlds do they take you into? Because you know, it just gives you so much more sense of the potential of us as human beings. You know, so we spend a lot of our time you know, walking around supermarkets and you know, sitting doing things on the net, and we just don't realise how extraordinary we all are when we just go into the depths of ourselves much more. Um, so yeah, I was doing practices of connected with those figures. And then I was also uh, being Bhante's secretary for six years and doing those ordination courses. And basically I just read everything I could get hold of as well. We had quite a lot of books in the, the library that Sangharachita had gathered over many years, which was before the internet was an incredible resource. Um, but I think I, I was just really drawn into that world. And so, you know, every little bit of information or each, each new picture or each discovery of a new figure really sort of stayed with me. And uh, I'd had a bit of contact with Tibetan Buddhism right at the very early stages of my Dharma practice, but uh, yeah, mainly it was what I got from Bhante and from and from reading. And subsequently, I through various sort of ways that I wouldn't go into. You know, I had quite a lot of contact with uh, Tibetan teachers, but I was quite struck by actually. Yes, they, they helped to sort of deepen my understanding. But uh, I got a really good basis 
from what was already available and from Bantu. I felt, uh, yeah, he he really understood uh, a lot of the the deeper meaning of these figures, and so he'd helped me to get you know, to get really into what they were about in a deep way because you can read information about them and that doesn't necessarily give you a feeling. In fact, it can even take you away. You just gain lots of facts about these these figures, but um, yeah, it doesn't help you to enter the world. It's a lovely title then, isn't it? Meeting the Buddhas. That's exactly what you were you were doing the introductions. Yes, that's it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So then what happened? So the book came out. The book came out and uh, and it sold sold well and carried on selling well for quite a few years. And then after about, I think about 15 years, if I remember rightly, um, Wintour's Publications wanted to refresh it, as publishers do. So the idea they came up with was to chop it into three parts because there are there's a whole introductory section and there's a section on different Buddha figures and then the, the main Bodhisattva figures and then the, the third part, which is all the uh, figures that are more exclusively found in the sort of Buddhist Tantra. It's yeah, extraordinary kind of figures of different gurus and darkinis and all sorts. So they the book did lend itself to being chopped into three so we we chopped it into three and it became three guides to guide to the buddhas guide to the bodhisattvas guide to the tantra deities and it's carried on like that for about another 15 years it's all very neat isn't it <laughs> 30 year anniversary and two fifteenth. <laughs> and then uh now it's it's back in one mm. so which i must say i'm really happy about actually although i could see the the sense of take it into three parts um, it's always felt like one book to me mm. and I think there's a lot of crossover between the different sections and it also works as a reference book and if you've got all the three together then it's really easy to kind of use it like that mm. so mm. yeah I'm, I'm very happy to see it you know, restored to its what I think of as its former glory <laughs> <laughs> I am um... I mostly encountered the. I couldn't get hold of a copy of Meeting the Buddhas, of course. <laughs> Unless you got a lot of money and, uh, you know, oh, you, yes, could, you yeah, couldn't. These things, you know, they, they these things go. Yeah, they were exclusive like that. Exactly. Um, but I encountered a lot of the figures that you introduce us to in this book on retreats where people would be reading things in, in pujas and often sort of the words and the ways you've described things have been not just uh, a meeting but a sort of invocation of the mm. figures and the quality of those figures. Um, so that's how I, I kind of first encountered the book. And then when I started at Wintos Publications, I was wandering around going, oh, what should, you know, what would you like to see published? You know, what what would, should we be doing? And so many people were like, bring back meeting the Buddhas. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, With okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was like that. Um, so, yeah. So what is, so aside from the fact that the three books are back into one and it's meeting the Buddhas, um, what's different about this one? Uh well, it's not hugely different. I thought about writing some fresh material, you know, there were a few figures that I didn't really do justice to in the original. Um, 
But then I realized actually that trying to write whole new sections, they would sort of stand out like sore thumbs because, as I say, actually, you know, I wrote the first draft about 35 years ago. I don't write like that anymore. So it would be, I'd be trying to sort of, you know, imitate, imitate my earlier style. And I, I thought it would just end up like some room where you sort of, you know, we touched up bits of the, of the walls, you know, in a slightly different color and it would just look weird. So I didn't make major changes and actually going through it, I didn't feel like I needed to. Uh, generally, it still felt like it, you know, it stood its own two feet without me giving any support. Um, but I did go through and sort of, I suppose, I've changed quite a lot of things which don't obviously make a difference, but when you put them all together, they do. Yeah. And it's things, even really small things, like for instance, the original version talked a lot about visualizations. There were chapters about something to do with visualization, da da da. There were hundreds of visualization mentions, which is gives you the idea that to really work with these figures, you've got to have a kind of clear visual imagination. And lots of people don't. And I've got some very good friends who practice with these figures really effectively and are really moved and by them and, and clearly have been transformed by them, and they don't see much at all. Mm -hmm. So all those mentions, or the vast majority of those mentions of visualization, they all disappeared. There were things like that, and there were things about, I suppose, where my understanding of um, the wisdom aspect of things has changed or deepened. I've, I've just kept changing things like that sort of through the book. So if you read it, you won't find, oh, there's a whole different chapter or you know, approach or anything. Um, but I think it just works much better for, well, readers 30, 35 years on, because you know, we've, our understanding of the Dharma in the West has sort of grown a lot. Um, yeah, and it's just, in all sorts of subtle ways, I think it's become a much better book. Yeah. I um I keep that um it's interesting that that this um well this book but more than that this whole uh in way of engaging with and in the tradition I see a lot of um Buddhist the Buddhist world at the moment is quite secularized or secularizing and obviously there's been a lot of um, drawing out mindfulness and some of the other parts of the tradition in a way that's um, uh, I don't know that has that has utility for sh for certain you know it it can be very very helpful but sure. this isn't necessarily the 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 part of the tradition that's been most easily um, accessible for some people uh, particularly kind of convert Buddhists who may have their own sense of uh, uh, like that have a history around religious iconography, for example, or prostration or mm. uh, visualization or, or things like that. Um, and I love the way you talk in the beginning of this book about 
that Buddhism has this rich language of archetype and symbol. Um, I wonder if you can just say a little bit more about what uh, having a relationship with these figures, whether it's via sadhana or pujas or reading or imagination or having images around you, like what, what does this bring? Like how does it change what we're doing? Cool. That's a big question. Big question. Big, 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 big question. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for mindfulness and I'm all for um, practices which are simple that people can immediately pick up and, and work with. Uh, however, it's interesting that all these practices with Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and Gurus and so on developed over time in, in Buddhism. And some people used to think, and maybe some people still do, well, that was just a degeneration from the pure original teaching. Uh, but to my way of thinking, it was actually an enriching and a developing as the mindfulness went deeper and deeper, uh, we started to find that there were depths to ourselves as human beings uh, that had all this richness mm -hmm. and we needed ways to contact that. And you can maybe do it you know, just through very simple mindfulness through the day. Uh, but these sadhanas, these practices developed over the centuries as you know, out, out of the, the practice and the visions and understanding of awakened people you know, as ways to give us doorways and portals you know, into, these other, into these other worlds, these other dimensions of ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel that having these kinds of practices, uh, yeah, gives us not just messages about what it really means to be a human being, but also ways to inhabit that potential. And, yeah, it's difficult if you've been, yes, yeah, maybe you, you had a, a religious background which you then rejected. I mean, I was brought up as a Catholic, so... I can speak to all that. Um, but I think it's interesting that the sort of methods that a lot of traditional religious spiritual traditions use, they are actually quite powerful. That's why, that's why it's quite hard to sort of get out from under them if you, if you decide that as they're being presented to you, they don't work. Um, but I think by and large, I don't have any problem with the methods. It's very often the ways in which they get fixed and literalized. And uh, one of the fantastic understandings of, of the Dharma is that uh, all these figures that you're visualizing, they're not kind of real entities out there, which you then you know have to... Uh, they're certainly not creating, you know, some kind of creator out there that you have to you know, enter into a 
maybe a subservient kind of relationship with, um, it's understood that they're just expressions of our own heart-mind as it starts to become more liberated. Mm. And, uh, yeah, finally, all those qualities that you visualize uh, come back home. We discover that they're qualities that we actually... We can't say possess because that sounds like there's an everyday me who's you know owns all this stuff. But it's more like, yeah, we discover the true qualities that our minds have, and which are also the true mind, true qualities that all minds have. You know, however much people may have wandered off from them, uh, yeah, they're still finally available to be discovered. So. Yeah, if we if we feel like oh well you know I've I've practiced as a Christian but now I feel I've rejected all that yes you know as soon as you come upon a puja or as soon as you come upon you know, some kind of devotion to a to a figure you know all your uh, yeah inner protectors sort of come up and you know start getting very suspicious but all those devotion and uh, yeah opening to different kinds of figures they're just methods fundamentally it's not like they're good or bad in themselves but they are very powerful Mm. so we just need to be quite sure you know what it is that we're opening to Mm. uh, what we're devoted to and uh, yeah once we really get the message that Yes, we're not becoming subservient to some, you know, deity out there, but actually it's a way for us to open to, uh, yeah, the, the beauty of our own heart. Then, yeah, we can start to reclaim those methods and not be scared of using them. Because they are, you know, they're certainly powerful. I'm almost. Why well, I'm tempted to ask what the nature of that, of their uh, potency, is. Are you tempted enough to actually ask? That? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Let's see if I'm tempted to answer. Uh, what's the so what, the the source of their potency, or what what is it that makes well, these practices what, so what goes what goes on? What is it? What is it about the the mind and the nature of of the the figures that is so uh, moving or opening or um, you keep saying that like that the, there's inherent a sort of power in in these mm-hmm. methods and and in the figures. Mm-hmm. They work on a lot of different levels, these practices, um, from the psychological to the, again, what we want to call it, the sort of deep psychological archetypal level to the wisdom insight level of things. Um, so, yeah, they even work sort of like psychologically, for instance. So. Supposing that we we take up a practice where we're visualizing uh, some Buddha figure, 
and perhaps this morning as we're practicing them we're we're feeling like we're a bit all over the place we're a bit distracted and we kind of feel like this buddha figure is is a bit disapproving that we're we're not paying attention but if you think about it a buddha it's never disapproving. It's never, you know, wagging your finger at you. They're not a Buddha if they're doing that. So, but so we we tend to put our own psychological qualities onto the figures, and um, it gives us a chance to see our psychological tendencies sort of mirrored in the figure. But it also works really sort of positively. It's like supposing that there's a figure that you visualise, and It's like in a relationship with another person, say, most of us, you know, certainly in, in any kind of close or intimate relationship, we reach a point where it's a bit scary, you know, just how open are we prepared to be? How much are we prepared to open ourselves? How much are we prepared to allow ourselves to feel loved, even? So, you know, you get all that sort of difficult kind of emotional negotiation that goes on in relationships. You visualize a... You know, bodhisattva or a buddha figure or something like that um you can express as much love devotion as you like there's the you're, you're not risking anything and equally you can open to that tremendous love of all the bodhisattvas that love of all the buddhas you know you can let it right in you can you know, just be flooded with it like light uh so yeah so it can have quite the practice can work on that sort of psychological level. And then the figures, they do embody yeah, quite deep sort of patterns, sort of psychological patterns, the kind of thing that sort of Jung and some of his followers have talked about, sort of more sort of archetypal levels of things. They, they embody all the different qualities of awakening. So whatever figure you visualize, it's free, it's loving, it's wise, it's generous, it's patient, it's playful, it's energetic, it's peaceful, you know, all those things. Uh, so it's just a way of contacting those qualities. But what's the source of those qualities? Well, it's not nowhere out there. Again, finally, we, we find them in ourselves, which is why with the sadness, Sometimes you start off visualizing, or usually you start off visualizing figures external to you. But as you go on, you very often start then becoming the figure. You start to 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 own, if you like, your own uh, inheritance as a human being. You know the, the, the deep inheritance that we could could have. So. There's that level, but then there's also a sort of wisdom level to it. Um, all these figures appear out of this open dimension, which is symbolized by blue sky, uh, which is the open dimension of our own minds. It's the open dimension of all experience when we go into any experience. How much we sort of try to fix it, we discover that it's there's something ungraspable about it. This constant transformation, this constant flow, this constant energy. Um, and then out of that uh, open, free dimension, 
which is full of potential. It's a, it's 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 not like a sort of uh, you know dead sort of sky somewhere in out beyond the asteroid belt. You know, it's it's a it's the the open dimension of awareness. You know, it's our own our minds that are producing all this, which is. So out of that, then all kinds of things can appear. But whatever appears is made of light. So it's as if we can, we're being given the chance to discover, say that some beautiful Buddha or Bodhisattva figure appears. Uh, we discover that we can really enjoy and appreciate and be moved by this figure, but it's made of light. There's, there's nothing we can ever get hold of. You know, we can't sort of you know, put it in our bag and sort of carry it off. You know, it's, it's, it's there's nothing fixed, nothing in a sense, nothing real there. So, uh, so we we learn to appreciate and enjoy interact and it's really obvious that we can't grasp mm. and just, you know, that's the whole issue from the buddhist point of view is that we have all this kind of experience mm. which and where we just enjoy and appreciate and interact mm. there's no problem it's, it's always the grasping it's always the fixing that, that produces the issue so mm. all that time that we spend visualizing these figures uh, yeah we're we're learning how to live in a free way. So the, these practices, although they seem very, um, oh, you know, sort of unusual and esoteric and so on, they're actually about how you live your life. They're about learning a way to be in the world that is free and that's wise and that's loving and compassionate. Right. I think, um, you know, rereading re the book and, and um, I've been on a few retreats with you as well, where you've been talking like in this in this way, maybe about what's going on in this relationship, if you like, yeah. um, is is the sort of access to a deep, deep positivity and possibility mm. that's quite hard to get. You know, watching Netflix or, or something. You know, it's it's a it's a must it's be a, must be on Netflix somewhere. <laughs> just got to get the right series. That, yeah. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. I mean nothing against watching Netflix series, sure. but there is there is just something so um, yeah, kind of next level wholesome about mm. the qualities that you're in contact with mm. Mm. in doing the practice, and in, well, even just you know, even just reading the even just reading these uh, or. Uh, like you might poetry or or looking at these images yeah it's a sort of connection with that it's lovely so some of the people who are listening to this won't know that we've been talking you've been working on um, something that will turn out to a book which which may in a way turn out to be something of a companion to this book and as much as meeting the buddhas is about the various figures so do you want to say a little bit about what you've been working on? Yes, can do. Uh, haven't got very far, but the plan is to produce a book about sadhana from the point of view of 
how you set about practicing with these figures. Mm. So uh, meeting the Buddhist gives you the, if you like, the who to practice with. So, yeah, a companion book would be more of the, the how to practice. And uh, with each of these different figures, there, there will be a, a number of sadhanas sort of, which lay out, you know, you first you visualize, first you do this, and then you do that, and then you visualize this, and then you recite such and such mantra. So that, that gives you sort of the basic um, information. Mm. But that really needs bringing to life. And uh, again, meeting Buddhas as well as the information was, I was trying to uh, give a sense of how it is to, to really practice with these figures. So the aim of this second book would be to really share experience about you know, some of the issues that come up mm. and how you work with these sadness over time uh, yeah to help deepen understanding of both yeah how they work but also how to work them mm. in the best of ways mm. and uh, yeah done a lot of well I've received a lot of teaching over the years on all these things and mm. I'm practicing now practicing sadhana now for Almost 50 years. So, yeah, hopefully we can share some experience that will be useful. Mm. And certainly having done a lot of retreats mm. and been asked lots of questions by an awful lot of people, mm. yeah, I'm kind of aware of the areas that mm. would be helpful to go into. So yeah, mm. let's, let's see how it goes. But that's the, that's the plan, mm. produce. I don't know if it will. Hopefully, it won't be quite as big a book as meeting the Buddhas for your sake, Dhammaka. <laughs> I think there'll be, it'll be, yeah, there's quite a lot to go into. Yeah. So it won't be a slim volume either. I mean, I'm aware that you and Vijay Mala did a long retreat. What, what year did you come back? Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yeah. So you went on a three year retreat, and obviously you've been on lots of other longer, longish retreats, but this was a substantial one. And I'm aware, um, I'm aware that you've just been doing a lot of teaching, particularly in the order um, about these kinds of practices. Some of which you take on when you're ordained. You would do some forms of practice before you're ordained, and you take on some when you are ordained. So sadhana is something that you would take on in a tree ratna context anyway that's sort of how it fits in uh, i'm just you know i'm curious about how you see your your what you can offer or what you're spending your life energy doing um, at the moment in terms of your writing and your teaching mm. what, can, what can i say about that uh, <laughs> Well, hopefully it all fits together. I suppose I suppose I've got, yeah, saying that I've you know I've been practicing sadhana for almost fifty years shows that I'm well, am I now seventy two, and uh, partly I'm just aware that time is running out rapidly. So my kind of priorities are to keep deepening my own practice um, for my benefit and others, hopefully, um, but also. I've been talking about wanting to empty my pockets. Mm. 
it's a bit like over the last over 50 years, Bunty Sangaraxter and other people have almost, they've just like poured lots of teaching and uh, not just teaching, but sort of like experience of, of them and, and their, their, how they set about practicing the Dharma. So I feel like I've been given an awful lot and uh, I'm trying to share as much of it as possible. So particularly you know, the last 10 years or so since coming back from three-year retreat, led a lot of retreats. Mm. And yeah, I've written a few books over the years, nearly all of which are available from Winterwood's publications, mm. I'm delighted to say. Um, but yeah, the aim is just to, whether it's by writing or doing residential retreats or online or meeting people individually, you know, in whatever way, just to keep sharing whatever I can that, yeah, might be useful so that uh, it keeps on being available and it spreads. Sometimes it's uh, you know, trying to find a way of both having enough time for my own practice and leading retreats and kind of helping people individually or in small groups with their practice and writing mm. plus a few other things you know it's sort of it gets to be uh, yeah it's a bit difficult to, to balance it all but it's it's a nice problem to have you know it's it's a bit of a plate spinning act, if you remember that old thing from the circus with the bamboo poles and the, and the plates. Yeah. What's writing like for you? Um, writing is a mixture. It's, well, if past experience is anything to go by, I suppose, you know, right, as I'm writing, starting in this book about how to how to practice sadhana. Um, the first draft is usually exciting, um, although it can be a bit of a struggle just working out how to uh, take what's in my mind, which is like in several different dimensions, and somehow organize it so that it marches across the page from left to right, you know, line after line. In two dimensions, that's also a bit of a struggle. Uh, but the first draft, yeah, it's, it's usually fun. The, then there's the going over it and going over it, you know, sort of like polishing it. And uh, But I've learned various things over the years. Like, I always reach a point where basically whatever virtues the book has, I've discounted. I know about those. It's just those bits that are left that are, need fixing, and I haven't got a clue how to fix them. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I've learned <laughs> not to just sort of disappear into yeah. into gloom, because uh, yeah. yeah, and not to forget that actually there was a lot of good stuff that's that's already worked that mm-hmm. was signed off on. So there are things like that. I'm a bit perfectionist, and so I have to be careful not to mm-hmm. not to try and do the perfect job. Mm-hmm. Particularly as yeah, yeah, as time goes on, mm-hmm. 
able to get things out. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to say while we're having this conversation and talking about Buddhas and human possibility and hopefully awakening, various waking up? Mm. No, I think it's feel like I've been saying quite a bit. <laughs> My hyperactive throat chakra. Um, I think maybe maybe it's worth saying that um, within Chiratna, yeah, we've because. Yeah, so he was so broad and he also really focused on the principles of the Dharma. Uh, it does mean that you know, we can follow a lot of different parts of practice and still understand one another's, the underlying principles of one another's practice. And it's one of the, one of the strengths of the order. I feel one of the things about sadhana is that it's very complete as a practice. So you know, a full sadhana will include strong emphasis on going for refuge. It will include a strong emphasis on bodhicitta, on not just practicing for ourselves, but really to make a difference to this suffering world. Uh, and then it will have both wisdom and uh, heart qualities. It will have imagination, it will have intuition, uh, it will have an impact even on you physically uh, as you go deeper into it. Uh, so I find sadhana quite a good sort of touchstone just to make sure that all the different qualities that we have as human beings are being included in our practice. And uh, yeah, because sometimes, you know, people, they get very excited about one aspect of the Dharma and sort of run with that uh, and can even sort of, you know, say, well, you know, this is this is where it's at and this is you know, just, just doing this and you can do that other stuff if you really want to, but it's really not, not too much. Um, yeah, so certainly it gives me a real sense of the wholeness of things. And, And within sadhana, yes, you know, some people really emphasize the wisdom aspect and some people really emphasize the devotional aspect. But over time, the sadhana keeps sort of nudging you to go, no, let's, let's have something that's even more complete. Let's, let's unfold even more of ourselves here. Let's really have the body and the, and the rational mind and the heart and the intuition and the imagination all unfolding. That's going to be fantastic. Look at that. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I um, One of the things that I really loved when I first came into contact, well, actually particularly with Tree Ratna, I, I had some exposure to Zen before, mm. was um, the, the sort of warmth and the capaciousness of uh, well, the sangha and the kinds of conversations and the recognition that uh, 
each person in a way unfolds that wholeness mm. on the slightly different looking path of different mm. steps at different times. And, and uh, one of the things I love about meeting the Buddha's book and, and engaging in that way is that um, like we're so, you know, I, for myself and I see it with other people as well, like I'm drawn to a particular figure mm. and maybe that figure stays um, really a vital connection for a long time. But also, like we're we're all heading towards the same wholeness, if you like, mm. and yet uh, it's not an either or. It's not a right or wrong. You know, in that sense, it's not a mm. um, it's not a, a, a matter of a kind of dualistic thinking about it. It's about like oh, actually, all of these qualities will support each other in in, in an awakening. So and so, just the the multiplicity of the of the Buddhas of that world. Uh, personally, I just find really beautiful, and it's not often that you get something that introduces um, people to the whole to something of the array. It's not the whole array, is it? But it's a large part of the array, a significant part of the array. Certainly enough of the array to to um, yeah find heart connections or things that are fascinating or, or opening. So, yeah, thank you very much for the work then and the work now on bringing out uh, the new Meeting the Buddhas. Well, thank you very much to you and to Winter's Publications mm. for all the work that went into this new edition, mm. new cover to you know, all the work on the text. Yeah, it's been great, as usual. I really enjoyed working with you. So may we do more in the future. Indeed. <laughs> great. Thank you, Vicentra. Pleasure. Windhorse Publications is part of the Tri Ratna Buddhist community, and this podcast is sponsored by Future Dharma Fund, a Buddhist fundraising charity which helps fund Dharma projects across the world, including ours. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider donating to them to help them fund current and future projects like ours. You can find out more about Windhorse Publications by going to our website. Uh-huh.